I'll tell you the story. I had already had an inkling that it was something else for me to do. I was just afraid. And then one day I was talking, it's amazing. So I'm in Miami, I'm eating lunch yesterday at a restaurant. I'm going to bring this around full circle. There was a physician back in Raleigh, North Carolina, who I knew. And he says, you need to meet this guy named Joel Wiggins. He was a well-known entrepreneur. I think he became a millionaire by the age of 31. He said, there's something about you two and you need to meet. So I'm going to put you guys together. Welcome to the Peyton Pipette Podcast. My name is Jeremy Utley, and it's my job to illuminate the tactics of world-class performers across domains. As a day job, I teach at the Stanford D School, helping students learn what it takes to come up with ideas. But I've realized I need to stay in the classroom learning myself, and this podcast is my classroom. Hey, hey, I'm Marcus Hollinger. I lead marketing and creative at Reach Records and Atlanta-based independent record label. And I'm also co-founder for Portrait Coffee, where we are seeking to reimagine the picture that comes to mind for folks in specialty coffee. I'm so excited to pull up my desk alongside my good friend and fellow learner, Jeremy and I think y'all are going to love what we have for you this season. We've got some amazing stories on deck, and we can't wait to dive in and learn alongside you. So grab your pipette and your paintbrush, and let's make something beautiful together. All right, today we talk with Derek Miles, the founder and CEO of CoreMed, who is revolutionizing healthcare by putting encouragement in the middle of the patient experience. Derek left a six-figure salary to start a venture taking on the martyr role to create generational wealth for his family and solve a need that he saw in the marketplace. We were amazed to discover Derek's innovative tactics for securing world-class talent and his point of view on what it takes to bring a board of directors strategic vision to amplify his ability to create value in the market. We think you'll enjoy this conversation as much as we did. All right, so we're here with Derek Miles, and Derek, we're thrilled to have you with us. You want to tell us just a little bit for folks who don't know CoreMed, what it is that you have built? Yes. Hey, Jeremy, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I just really have to, even before I begin that, just say thank you to you guys out there at Stanford, because even before CoreMed had any traction, you guys gave me like the thumbs up that this is something that I should pursue, and that gave me courage to, to go and pursue it. So thank you for that. You and Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. But let me tell you what we built. So think of Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, Postmates in your backyard, DoorDash, and how they use a, a crowdsourced delivery platform to get people food and grocery to people's homes. Well, CoreMed uses a very similar enterprise software with crowdsourced delivery drivers, but we don't deliver people. We don't deliver food. We don't deliver grocery. We're healthcare exclusive. So think prescriptions, high-end vitamins, immunity, nutrition drinks, CBD oil. Uh, What we're really excited about now is that we're actually bringing healthcare services into the home. So if you need a a monoclonal antibody, remember when former President Trump got sick with COVID-19, he got admitted to the hospital, he got a monoclonal antibody and he was discharged. So today with the, what is it, the variant, the Delta variant going back up, 
people can get the monoclonal antibody and don't have to worry about their COVID-19 progressing into a hospitalization. We do that in the home. You don't have to go into a hospital. I think the hospital is like ground zero. People in there are sick. So the virus is just swirling around the hospital. You don't want to go to a hospital right now. You want to be able to stay in your home, get your services. As I was sharing with Marcus, we also do you know IV vitamins. So I'm here at the Addition Hotel, which is one of our first luxury hotels going to provide core med to their guests. So if you had a little bit too much to drink, you can request core med. We can bring IV vitamin therapy right here on site. And within an hour, you're back to 100%. So again, in a nutshell, just, just think of a crowdsourced delivery model that's exclusive to healthcare products and services. And that's what we created. It's amazing. It's amazing to see, especially how far you've come in what, I guess, when we intersected, it was four years ago. Is that it right? Was. You nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us about a couple of key decisions that you came to that as you look back, you say that was a an inflection point for the business? Maybe you didn't know it at the time, but looking back, you mm-hmm. can point to that and say something changed there and how you made that decision. Well, I got to go back to you and you and Perry, right? So uh, I don't know if you remember this, but McKesson was the first big Fortune 500 company or Cardinal Health. But so it was the bigger medical distribution company. So there's three medical distribution companies that are really large. So you have McKesson, which has headquarters in Dallas, Texas, where our main headquarters is. Cardinal Health, which is out of Ohio, and Amerisource Bergen actually has a very significant presence in DFW, but their headquarters is somewhere else. So I remember you, I was really excited. So we had got an NDA with Cardinal Health very early in the process. They liked what we were creating. They, They made a inquiry about purchasing CoreMed. And I sent you guys a note about it. And the feedback was, Derek, we've seen this before. Go raise some more money and keep growing. And that was the best advice that we could have ever gotten because we've, you know, we've talked to Amazon. We're under NDA with Amazon Pharmacy. We've talked to Uber under NDA with Lyft. So all the, all the big ones have inquired about what we're doing. But because of the advice that we got from you guys, we never really just settled in and say, hey, we're just hoping to, to partner with these guys. We just continue to build our platform. And that's where we are today. So another inflection point for us is when we did Microsoft for startups and Google for startups. So there's only like four companies with a trillion dollar market cap and two of the largest ones have invested in CoreMed, right? And what they have shown us over time is to not be a one trick pony. Just don't be a prescription delivery service. Look for an opportunity and provide a solution. We're just doing prescriptions. Then we see an opportunity for high vitamins. We added high vitamins. We saw an opportunity for immune nutrition drinks with, with Abbott. We, start, we added immune nutrition drinks. People needed CBD oil. We have members of my family who are using CBD oil. We added that, right? And we just continue to add COVID-19 vaccines in the home, monoclonal antibodies in the home, IV vitamin therapy in the home, and we're not done. So Google started out as a search engine. Microsoft started out as office productivity software. There are much different companies today. CoreMan started off as a prescription delivery service. We're a much different company today, and we haven't stopped adding to what we're going to potentially be over time. We think big over here. I love it. I love it. I think it's the only way to think. One of the things I wonder about is I know a lot of founders question the basis of a pivot. How do you know when to pivot? How do you know when to offer a new product? I'd love to hear how you operationalize making those kinds of decisions, adding something like CBD, for example. And then how do you know whether you made the right decision? Because the reality is you, you, you're, you've got 
attention bandwidth, you know, considerations, right? There's only so many things that you can attend to. How do you decide something's worth pursuing? And then how do you know whether you made the right decision? Thank you so much. But the the answer is margin. So we look at how much margin we're going to make. I hate to be a, a downer, but prescription delivery is not high margin. So we learned that very early, even though we learned how to make money on every prescription, that is not a high margin business. It's the other businesses outside of prescriptions that are high margin, like vaccines is a very high margin business. Monoclonal antibodies are very high margin business. IV vitamin therapy is very high margin business. So that's what we really look at is if we're going to provide that service, we make more money on a, on a vaccine, we would have to do maybe 70 deliveries to make as much money we would make doing one vaccine delivery. So the answer to that question is all about margin. And so to me, that's, that's a very cold answer in a sense, <laughs> right? Or that's, that's a spreadsheet answer. What I'm curious about, Derek, is maybe backing up a level what inspires the various paths you you entertain pursuing? How do you, how do you even become aware of higher margin opportunities? Well, I didn't tell you this, but I'm a former healthcare executive. Spent 15 years in some of the nation's largest academic medical centers, like the University of Alabama, University of Florida. Worked in Chicagoland with the largest healthcare provider in the entire state called Advocate Healthcare. Did some for profit with a company called Universal Health Services. Also didn't mention that I became CEO at the age of 31, but by the time I turned 37, 38, I realized that healthcare was just not as innovatively supportive of my ideas. So as an operations guy, your responsibility is to make money and bring on new revenue and decrease expenses. So a lot of that requires innovation. And in the healthcare space, they were not innovative enough to to keep me interested. So I left and became an entrepreneur. So what gives me an advantage is by working 15 years as an executive, I know all the bones are buried. Uh, and then our board of directors has been strategically identified. So the chairwoman of our board is a former physician. Then we have secretary who's the chief compliance officer at UCLA Health. He's still in the trenches. Another board member is the vice president of a company called Henry Shine, but he also had stints at Abbott and Cardinal Health and Pfizer. So he's on the ground. And then our last board member was over sales at Vizient. Vizient is the nation's largest healthcare group purchasing organization. So when you add in all the expertise that we have in our minds and the individuals who are still on the ground every day, seeing opportunities. So when we get together as a board and say, hey, Derek, we want you to consider this. If it makes sense, we go and do it. So hopefully that that wasn't as cold. No, that's cool though. I mean, to me, that's actually a really a really incredible tactic and a way to leverage your board. I would say my projection there is that the way you engage your board is maybe different than some other entrepreneurs do, because I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that you're actually using them as kind of a sensory network to help you understand what are opportunities that you may have overlooked. How did you establish that kind of relationship with them? And how often do you meet and how do you structure the meetings so that you're able to be learning as, as, as rapidly as you clearly are. Yeah. So I met a guy a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, he was a billionaire by the name of Peter Daniels. And I was researching him. I started pursuing him. I get a phone call one day. I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he says, Derek, this is Peter Daniels. And then my mouth almost dropped, right? He says, I'm, I'm coming to America and I want to spend some time with you. And I'm like, hey, 
I don't care what part of America you in, I'm going to fly to be where you are. And he says, well, I'm coming to Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm like, no way. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. He says, I'll be there in two weeks. Let's set up some time, like an hour and a half for me to share, share with you. So as we're sitting down, we, we go into this very swanky hotel in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. We sit down for an hour and a half. But at the end of the conversation, he mentions me, he says, Derek, I know why you haven't been successful at your previous ventures. He says, you don't have a board of directors. He says, you need a board of directors. He says, there's lots of ups and downs as an entrepreneur in any type of company. If you have a board of directors who have means, they will save you in different instances when there's the downs in the business. So I was very strategic in finding people who I had worked with previously, like the chairwoman of the board. I worked with her 20 years ago when I was at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. The guy who's the chief compliance officer at UCLA Health, I worked with him like 15 years ago at the University of Florida, right? The guy who's at Vizient, I had an opportunity to meet him when I was working for a nonprofit doing some work over in Africa because we were trying to get supplies to Africa. He worked for Vizient. So I was able to build these relationships with people when it came time to, to start, start CoreMed. They were you know, independently wealthy and also had a, a wealth of knowledge in what they did. So it was very strategic based on a relationship many, many years before about creating the right type of board to support you. And I, and I will mention, I'm, I'm, I am not prideful. There were very many dark days with CoreMed. And those members of the board, once uh, those dark days presented themselves, they continued to write checks to keep the doors open. They don't have to do that anymore. But in the dark days, many of them wrote checks for us to keep the doors open. We meet on a monthly basis. It's been really tough, especially because these, ha- these guys have big jobs, right? So when COVID hit, we, we went months without meeting because one guy was responsible for the COVID-19 test for Abbott, right? So he was just totally covered up. Vizient was having problems getting PPE to the hospitals and clinics and stuff like that. So those, those people weren't, weren't available. So now that we have a better handle on it, but now with the, the Delta variant going back up, we, we try our best to meet on a, on a monthly basis. I really like that question, Jeremy, and I love the the breadth that you are able to speak to in that, Derek, from the figure who is, is he on your, is Peter on your board of advisors or was he just content to give you that call and then watch you no. set it up? No, he was just content to share that information. And I, and I use that like most time for like entrepreneurs and startup founders. I like to share that information, just give it away freely because he gave it to me freely. And it was Absolutely. so impactful for CoreMed. It saved CoreMed and allowed us to get where we are today because we had the right people on the board. At the Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm curious, I think there's there's sort of this concept that here that you talked about, about the team up, which is the, the board of directors. I'm curious, especially some of the challenge and the dark days that you talked about, I'm sure you had to rely on your team down to sort of get, get through those periods, which is probably the people who are working in the business with mm-hmm. you or on the business in a, in a horizontal fashion. How have you gone about building that team and how do you guys work together? So that, that's still a challenge. I think with most, most companies that are, are growing, getting the right team members is paramount, right? So one of the words that I always use is we need A players. We need A players. So one of the things that we have done to bring A players on our team and to keep our expenses down, we believe in hiring fractionals. 
fractional CFO, fractional CTO, fractional CMO, right? So those individuals come with a strong breadth of knowledge and they know how to execute. And then we don't get hit with the books of someone like that with a high salary being on there for 40 hours a week. We bring them in when we need them. So when it came time for us to raise, so we're in the process of uh, finalizing a $5 million seed now. So our, our chief financial officer, man, he was working a whole lot based on the feedback that we were getting for the due diligence. But now that that's done, he's kind of behind the scenes. When we're making a lot of changes to our software for, for enterprise software, because we're actually going to be able to sell our enterprise software on the Microsoft marketplace. So our CTO is probably the busiest, ex- busiest executive that we have right now, making sure that that software is prepared to, to go on the Microsoft marketplace. The next thing that we're doing now is from a marketing perspective, right? We have so many opportunities coming our way. I think before we hit record, someone has to be able to manage all that and make the decision, which is the, the right direction we need to go in so that we can continue to keep the doors open. So like, say like case in point, one of the opportunities that's in front of us today is a very large public hospital. Well, public hospitals can be a problem. Of course, I know is that they pay their bills late, right? It could be 60, 90 days before they pay their bill. That's a problem for CoreMed because we're a crowdsourced delivery company. That means our drivers get paid every week. So we would have to float all of that money for 60 to 90 days. And that's not a good platform initially. Someone would have to say, well, it it could make sense for us from a marketing perspective because they have such a, a big name, but it could cause a lot of problems from a cash standpoint for CoreMed, someone has to be able to, to manage that and, and make that right decision. Because I spend all my time as right now, I'm in Miami, right? Next week I'll be in LA. I'm spending all my time raising money, doing you know partnerships. Someone has to be responsible for the, for the day-to-day marketing. And just to be totally honest with you, when it, when it comes to our, our team, we had to bring on a team initially to, to keep everything together. You just didn't have the money to, to, to recruit A players. Now, once we get this this infusion of cash, we're going to use that money to to make our team even better. So so what I'm saying here is that we have some opportunities for improvement on our team and we're going to utilize the resources of the the raise to to improve our team. What what I'm hearing in this is the the conversation so far or the the bigger narrative is, is centered around innovation and things. And what I appreciate and what I'm hearing is you you guys are even taking an innovative approach to staffing. And I want to dig in a a little bit more on the the fractional hires. How are you guys making that work for for folks? What what entices someone to say, yeah, I'll I'll fulfill that role within this company? The leader. So they, they want to be a part of something, right? So it all starts with leadership. I wouldn't say sales. I I believe they they see the vision, they see the opportunity for it to become big. And then when people see the opportunity for something to become big and, and they believe in the leader, they they join. And what does it look like maybe to even to drill down farther? What is a fractional relationship with the company look like? And how do they assess the leader? How do they assess the growth opportunity? And how do you align incentives so that they participate in that? Yeah. So the, first, the number one incentive, and, and you know this, Jeremy, being in Silicon Valley is a stake in the business, right? So as they produce, at the, they get a shot at the beginning of, or of shares and based on their ability to 
execute, they get more shares. They're getting a really good deal uh, before the shares get more and more expensive. But we've been tremendously blessed. I mean, the, the people who are in fractional roles for us, a bunch of Harvard MBAs who have you know, 20 years plus experience that are on our team. So it's like it's like second nature for them. And the way that uh, compensation works, we pay them by the hour, right? So um, the amount of hours that they put in for us is is how we pay them. I'm I'm curious. One thing you you talked about or you hit on was the leadership. What are some of the leadership principles that you all are intentional about putting at the forefront that you're seeing people respond to? Yeah, wonderful question. So I always go back into the word core man. Okay, so we were very intentional before we delivered the first prescription. The word core at the beginning, some people think it means like courier. That's not what it means. The word encouragement right in the middle of the word encouragement is C-O-U-R. So what we're delivering every day is encouragement to people. Think about this prescription. Again, I'm a healthcare guy. If you're on a prescription, that is the last step before you get admitted to the hospital. You need encouragement. So on every SMS message that we send out to let someone knowing know that their prescription is on the way or whatever, there's a little message at the bottom that says be encouraged on every delivery label. So when it shows up at your house with your name on it, doesn't show what you're receiving. At the bottom, it says be encouraged. Every Tuesday when we pay our drivers, we pay our drivers through Zelle. At the bottom of their pay stub says, be encouraged. The one thing that we know about life is people can put all they want to on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, and on Instagram. There's one area in your life where you need a word of encouragement. And that's our role. So on a on a daily message, on a daily basis, we're sending out thousands of message messages of encouragement. So who we are at the core. We're a company that allows people to become more and more encouraged in the healthcare space. Which is a pretty full, full circle moment. I remember when we first started the class, you how you were doing, you said, I'm encouraged. That's right. And that that that's a great I, I can see that. I can see that. Derek, I, I've often uh, observed on LinkedIn, you say things about how encouragement is the core of CoreMed, but I've never known until right now how that, what the last mile looks like, so to speak. How does that encouragement actually make it to patients and actually make it to your drivers? That's I'm very moved by that. How do you think about measuring that? If encouragement is a goal, how do you know whether you're accomplishing the goal and how have you iterated or pivoted in achieving that goal? We use that 99.5%. Can you guys hear me? My, my, my bars look okay. Good. 99.5% of the people who take the time to evaluate CoreMed rate us as a five-star service. And at the bottom, you'll see sometimes someone will say, I'm encouraged. Thank you for the encouragement. So what we've been able to use now is we can go into a hospital knowing that hospitals struggle with this term called patient satisfaction. And patient satisfaction is really based off the last experience that they recall. So we can go into a hospital and say, hey, we have 99.5% five-star delivery reviews. Bring in on CoreMed to get these prescriptions or whatever to people's homes going to have a byproduct 
or it's going to be a byproduct to improve your own patient satisfaction scores because what they're going to remember is the last piece of it, the delivery that they got through CoreMed. So now we have large hospitals who are signed up for CoreMed. So they have a telehealth patient. They can be on telehealth at nine o'clock in the morning, get the prescription at their door by 12, right? They're encouraged. And by the time they get their patient satisfaction survey, what they remember is that, hey, I, I did a telehealth visit at 9 a.m. I got my prescription at 12. Guess what they're going to put on that patient satisfaction survey? Wonderful job. And the beautiful thing that we've also been able to do with that is we've been able to help community pharmacies. Most people don't even know what a community pharmacy is because they don't really do a good job of, of marketing themselves. But community pharmacies have the best customer service out of all storefront pharmacies. So before when I mentioned Cardinal Health, McKesson, and Amerisource Bergen, they're all the parent companies of over like 23 to 25,000 community pharmacies. And what we've learned to do is to bring those patients that go to those large hospitals to those community pharmacies. So now CoreMed is not just on the income statement as an expense. We actually help them build new revenue. So when it comes down to making a decision who you want to use for your, your service, well, I can use this courier who's just an expense or I can bring in CoreMed, which is this healthcare solutions company. And I got brand new revenue. Say, say for instance, these community pharmacies didn't have the ability to be able to deliver the COVID-19 at home. Now with CoreMed, they can. They can just go into our system, put in a concierge vaccine delivery. Our driver will pick it up, take it to that person's home. Nurse takes it from the driver, goes in and administers COVID-19 vaccine. So we've been able to not only use our platform of encouragement from a, a feel-good standpoint, but we've been able to use encouragement to build revenue for companies who have not been so encouraged by how much money they were making. I would love to uh, go back in time a little bit, if you don't mind, to a little time travel with me, because a lot of people, I think, wonder, should I dot, 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 should I leave this career path? You know, you mentioned you were an executive for 15 years. I'd love to better understand how you made the decision to leave the stable career path and to venture into the unknown world of entrepreneurship and maybe what, what you were monitoring inside or outside, how you made the decision and how you, how you would recommend others interact with that sort of question. Lovely question, Jeremy. And it's, to me, it's simple. So if you have a if you have an idea that's about you stay in corporate America, don't leave. But if you have an idea that's going to improve the lives of others, take the leap. That's what I did. When we looked at what we're doing with CoreMed, it wasn't about Derek Miles. It was about providing a, a better service to people. It was about encouraging people. And since we were looking to do something outside of myself, and, and you know this, Jeremy, I, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual brother. And then when, when you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't do much for himself. Jesus did most things for others. Jesus didn't have people coming to him. He went to people. So I'll tell you the story. I had already had an inkling that it was something else for me to do. I was just afraid. And then one day I was talking. It's amazing. So I'm in Miami. I'm eating lunch yesterday at a restaurant. I'm going to bring this around full circle. There was a physician back in Raleigh, North Carolina, who I knew. And he says, you need to meet this guy named Joel Wiggins. He was a well-known entrepreneur. I think he became a millionaire by the age of 31. He said, there's something about you two and you need to meet. So I'm going to put you guys together. 
So he gave me Joel's phone number. Joel calls me a couple of days later and we exchanged pleasantries. I started talking a little bit about what I was doing. He stopped me right in the middle and says, you're not going to be there much longer. He says, there's something else for you to do. I'm like, really? And I knew he was right. And because he said that to me, it gave me the courage to step out and do something else. But if he didn't say there's something for us, something else for you to do, you sh- you're not going to be there much longer. I would have stayed in the comfort of my, my, you know, luxury office and high six figure salary without thinking about coming up, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. I thought about it, but again, I was afraid. The conversation with Joel gave me the courage to step out. So yesterday, I'm here in Miami at a swanky restaurant. Dr. Kirk Charles comes in the restaurant, the guy who put me and Joel together. We took a picture and sent it back to Joel because I had the chance to tell him, look what we've created after all these years of you introducing me to Joel. We've become best friends. That's beautiful. That's incredible. What was it? I mean, I, I can I know a lot of people can relate to that fear. What was it about Joel's words that resonated with you? There's something else for you to do. Why did that? Why was that what unleashed your your courage? Well, one thing I picked up on is, you know, even though I became CEO at 31, the further and further I went up the corporate ladder, when my sons, I have two sons, when it was time for them to get a job or when I retired, they were not going to give those jobs to my sons. So I realized that my sons are an extension of me. I had to put them in a position that they can continue on the journey that God started for me. When I was in corporate America, they couldn't come to board meetings. They couldn't see me present and talking about patient satisfaction and payer mixes, da-da-da. They didn't get to go to the fundraisers, et cetera, in the community. But now with CoreMed, my oldest son, he actually runs the business on Saturdays. My youngest son, he's 14. He's, he did his first deliveries two weeks ago. So while I'm at home, they, they can hear the conversations that I'm having, and then I take them with me. So at a very young age, they're actually learning to run one of the companies. Core may not, may not be around, but they, I can create something else, and then we can just slide them into a position. And the uh, last thing I want to talk about is, is generational wealth. The Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So what I can create the offspring of my two sons can make a decision if they want to work or not, because we have created generational wealth. And typically generational wealth doesn't come from working from someone. There's data out there that shows that I think almost 90 percent, 90 percent of individuals who are worth five million dollars or more sold a company. So the data is out there. What you need to do to create generational wealth. Most people just go in and get a job. And I just decided to be the martyr and, and our family to take all the hits to create a generational wealth and create the paths for my seed. And thank you for, for sharing that a little bit, a little of that personal motivation in there. I, I would like to ask how I'd love to hear a story, at least of what that's been like when we think about generational wealth that projects into the future a bit. Maybe if we, if we take a step back, what does it look like? Maybe a story of a deposit that you've been able to make into your, your family a- along the way. Experiences. 
Uh, I'll tell you about an experience I had. There's a gentleman in Dallas, Texas. His name is Neilan Youngblood. They call him the $800 million man. And I was able to get a meeting with him. He should be the $1.2 billion man now because that's what he has under management. But we met back in 2014. And as soon as I walk in the room, and this, this happened before, he says, why are you sitting on that side of the table? He says, you should be on this side. What are you doing? And as we, as I, I thought I was going to impress him about well, my, my background. And he says, Derek, I don't want you ever to work in a hospital again. He says, you need to own your own hospitals. He says, to have juice in America, you need $100 million. Go out and create a company for $100 million and come back and talk to me. And then everything just went silent. Well, he gets in contact with me probably three or four months ago. He just watched. He invited me back because he had been seeing the growth of CoreMed. And I'm not going to get into the numbers, but our, our valuation now is you know, getting pretty high. But uh, if it wasn't for someone who was able to sow into me, you know, first it was Peter Daniels, then it was Neilan Youngblood. And then what really solidified me about following Neilan is it wasn't a fact that he owned a bunch of, you know, a private equity company, had a bunch of money. It was a fact that he was recognized as a father of the year in Dallas. So not only was he kicking, but from a professional standpoint, he was named the father of the year. And I was like, that's what I want. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. I'm likewise blown away, similar to what uh, Marcus was just saying. I wonder, to me, there's two seemingly opposite things. They aren't opposite, but they feel opposite. On the one hand, you know, $100 million, $800 we're throwing out really big numbers, generational <laughs> wealth, et cetera. And then on the other hand, you said, there's also a comment that you said, I decided to be the martyr and take the hits. Yeah. for the sake of my family. Can you talk about how those things aren't different? Because mm-hmm. it's a, it's surprising yes. to hear you say, I'm the one who decided to be a martyr and go for the you know $100 million company, right? So talk about why that feels like a martyr's path, so to speak, and how you view it now, maybe versus how you did then. Yeah, because most people don't recognize that it takes a lot of failures to get to any method of success, right? We celebrate success here in the United States. We do not celebrate failure. We do not recognize failure and so many downs, right? Um, We've gotten way more no's than we've gotten yeses for CoreMed over the years. Now we think it's starting to even out. To get to generational wealth is hard work. It's not easy to run a startup. As I mentioned before, a lot of people post stuff on social media about their company. But in the background, even with CoreMed, there's things that we struggle with mightily. They look good, you know, red, white, and blue. But inside the company, lots of struggle. There's struggle running a startup. There's struggle creating generational wealth. There's struggle building relationships. So I'm the one who's decided that I would take on all those struggles over the years because I grew up in Clearwater, Florida. We had two public housing complexes. We lived in both of them. So I know exactly what it's like to to grow up very poor and to go back home and see that blight and say, well, I don't want that this anymore for my family. Even when I was a little kid, I would go to a store and and buy Rob Report. I'm like 13, 14. I'm buying Rob Report because I I felt there was something else for me to do instead of just being in Clearwater, Florida. So one of the reasons my brother and I left Clearwater because what it was still in our mind, how we grew up. And we wanted something different for our lives. So 
in a nutshell, it's about you know when I how I grew up, what I experienced, didn't want that anymore. Whatever it took to get out of that experience, running a, a startup, knowing that it's hard work, still pushing through thousands of no's to get to the point where we are today. It's incredible. It's incredible. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Marcus, I don't know if you have any final thoughts or you you just uh, Derek, while you were getting your charger, Marcus said, I gotta process some of the content here. I don't know, Marcus, if there's anything you want to wrap with. Otherwise, I want to be respectful of your time, Derek, and let you get on with your uh, busy day in Miami. Well, I get to go back to Dallas now. I always try to be home with the family on the weekend. So I travel in the middle of the week and then I fly home. I fly home on Thursday or I fly home on Friday. Wow. I think I think that's remarkable. There there always seems to be this dichotomy between what you can do professionally and mm-hmm. and that somehow it that that will cost you at home and and I'm I'm really inspired by the way you hold that the way you hold those two intention. Yeah. Cuz that what really matters. And the last thing I'll leave you with and I read this book uh, what got you here won't get you there and it talks about like this executive who was on his dying bed and the only people who showed up in the hospital were his family. So a lot of people get it mixed up when they're in corporate America trying to make all the money. Those are, I don't want to use that word. I'm going to say light relationships. There's not a lot of love there. But when you're on your deathbed, the people who are going to be around you are the people that love you. So those are the people you need to spend your most time with, your cherished time with. And within CoreMate, I want to make sure that my family, because here's what I recognize, I'm almost 50 years old, which means the likelihood of me living to 100 is pretty low. So I've probably lived the majority of my life already, right? So for the end of my life, I want to make sure that my family had has had access to me. I think that's something that we can all relate to in this uh, creative life. I think our hope with these conversations is to not just talk to entrepreneurs, but artists and folks okay. who are who are creating things of value in the world. And Remembering the right priority and ordering of relationships is critical for anybody seeking to make a dent in the world with their creative talents and their the time and their vocation. So it's a great reminder for the end of the conversation. I'm humbled and privileged that we got a chance to talk to you, Derek. It's been fun to watch from the sidelines and to get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain today is incredibly invigorating and it makes me want to root for you even more and support you even more. And uh, I can't wait to see you flip the script on our friend Neilan and uh, have, and you tell him he needs to be sitting on the other side of the table from you. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and give me an opportunity to share my heart. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Derek. All the best. And we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Bye.